Good morning, everyone. Do take a seat. I have my own welcome, especially to Esther and Simeon's family and friends. My name's Carl. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great to see you. Uh, do hang around afterwards. We have a fine selection of fruit teas, herbal teas, and all kinds of interesting snacks and cakes, I think. Uh, if you're not used to church, um, I know some of you here might be visitors uh, who've not really regularly gone to church. Just to let you off the hook, if you're thinking this is all a bit bonkers... I totally get it. I used to think it was all a bit bonkers myself, to be honest with you. And in fact, I've had a bit of a bonkers week. Um, it was a bit of a mad week, really, tra- travelling all over the UK. It's culminated yesterday in Hemel Hempstead. I just need to share this as a way of confession, really. I'm in Hemel Hempstead for a meeting. And anyone here ever been to Hemel Hempstead and negotiated the eight roundabout system? Hmm. Yes, so uh, I nearly died three times uh, navigating the Hemel Hempstead roundabout system and, and walked into a meeting of ten beautiful people uh, uh, saying, Hi everyone, really good to see you. That roundabout's mad. Whoever designed that was mad and words to that effect. And then someone went in the corner, my father designed it. Can you, can you believe it? In all the places in all the world, you know, how, I mean, I, I'm like a man who tries to choose his words carefully and then that happens. So it's been a bonkers week and I was just sitting there and standing there during the worship thinking, some of you here might think this is all a bit mad. Well, I have to tell you, I'm, I mean, I'm now nearly 44 and, and I'm just looking at the dedication. I mean, my daughters have disappeared, Friday. I mean, one of them's turning 17 on Monday and it's just like, that, that is just gone. You know, that's just mad, isn't it? But I just like, my life of faith for me began at age 18. I, I don't come from a, a Christian family. And the first time I ever went into church, I just thought it was completely mad. I mean, really, it was just like insanity because my life plan really was just to milk humanity for as much money as possible and then die. You know, I just thought everyone's just a target for me to make some cash buy a holiday home and, and a Porsche and die. And then just had this, well, that's the, that is the game, isn't it? I mean, that's the game. If you've got no higher purpose, that's in a sense what my plan was. Apart from I thought I might do five years as a mercenary in the Congo when I was about 12 for some reason. But that was kind of like the, the, the game of life for me. And then had this radical, passionate encounter with Jesus uh, at age 18, which kind of just really transformed everything. Um, and we as a church, we, we just believe passionately in Jesus and we believe passionately in telling people about him. And so um, every, every week we do spend about 90 minutes doing a Bible study. So I'm going to cut that down to an hour this morning. Is that all right with you guys? No, don't worry, it'll be about 20 minutes. Talking of madness, anyone pick up a Black Friday deal? Some, anyone going to confess to the Black Friday madness? Okay, so for those of you who don't know what Black Friday is, this is the heavily discounted day where everyone tries to grab a bargain, uh, but they buy things they would normally never buy. It's like, look, I can buy some scuba kit for a grand when it's normally three grand, never having any intention to do scuba diving. That's essentially what happens. Look, talking to Manis, I've got this brilliant video clip of Black Friday I want to show you. This is the minute. Um, not that's the song. But I've got a brilliant, a brilliant clip of Black Friday. Check it out. Stop the video, I can't cope anymore. I mean, that's beautiful humanity in action. It's like, what is going on? It's like the world's gone mad. You've got 
headlines like the serious stuff. You know, like the world is falling apart out there. And then Black Friday happens and we're stampede Asda and buy a 42-inch TV. It's like craziness, like there's so much mixture of what's happening out there. And I just, for me, you know, I guess age 18, that would have been me. I would have been fighting to get a plasma TV, you know, that like I didn't even need so I could flog it again on eBay or something. I mean, to be honest with you, my wife will testify to this, who I met in a little church at the age of 18 fell beautifully in love, pretended to be a Christian because she wouldn't go out with me unless I became a Christian. I actually faked a conversion and everything, but she saw, she saw through it. But she would tell you that when she first met me, I was a living nightmare. I was. I was like a chaotic nightmare, you know, and I probably would have been a nightmare to, like, to humanity that surrounded me. That was the thing. And then Jesus Christ intercepted my life. And I can remember walking out of the church at age 18, having just met Jesus. And it was like, you know, they, this word epiphany is used. I, I, I just stood on the doorsteps, crying my eyes out of the church, thinking, my goodness me. My goodness me. I never realized what, the, what life and what the world was really all about. And I think looking back at my life, and I've seen this in many, many other people, we try and fill like a void in our life with stuff like possessions or worse. I, 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 let me just make like a declaration of faith so you know exactly where I'm at and where we're at as a church. I believe and we believe that God is not a, a myth or a fairy tale. We believe that God made the heavens and the earth. And he put the sun in the sky to give us light by day. And he put the moon in the sky to give us light by night. And he grew stuff and made stuff like thousands of species of fly and vegetation. He made stuff. And then he made you. He made mankind. He, he made men and women. And he knows, we believe in the Bible, the Bible tells us that he knows every hair on your head or lack of that he knows every word on your tongue. Every day ordained for you, the Bible says, was planned. That he knows the beginning from the end and he loves you. We believe that. And we believe it's inconceivable that God would make you and leave you floundering around to find him. But he leaves us signs all over the place. Not obvious signs. That the universe is so fantastic that it could have come about by chance to me takes greater faith. We believe that he left the signs all over the place so that we would find him. And when people don't find him, they can fill that gap with a void, that void. They, they fill it with stuff like Black Friday, or you might call it consumerism, or getting addicted to sex, or drink, or drugs, or some hobby, even golf. What an evil game. It destroys men and women's lives. We try and fill that void. And then Jesus intercepts us. I think many people are seeking him. All over the world, it's weird. All over the world, you see people searching for something more. And it's like the law of diminishing returns. You try and find more and more and more stuff. But somehow, have you found this? Whether you just got yourself an Xbox One and Star Wars Battlefront, guilty. Where do you just, it somehow, after 20 minutes, doesn't satisfy anymore. You can try and get all the sex you want and somehow it doesn't satisfy anymore. You can drink yourself to death, but it doesn't satisfy anymore. But when you meet Jesus, 
He's, he is so radically transforming that every fiber of our being can be radically transformed with a sense of purpose and hope. It just cuts through all of that. And we've been working through this book called Matthew, which is in the Bible. And, and uh, week by week, we're just trying to put a magnifying glass on this because we also don't believe that this is just some mythological fairy tale book. But this book is just phenomenal and, and cuts through into people's lives and transforms us just by reading it. When that's, that's in a sense really how I became a Christian. I just started to look at it. I mean, many of you here know the story. The first Bible I ever got was a Gideon's one at school. But I just realized it was made of fag paper, so I smoked it. But when I got a Bible later, when I got a Bible later and I started really inquiring into it, man, it just like cuts into your heart. So we like to read it. So just give me a few moments while I read this amazing, beautiful encounter that Jesus had with a couple of people. And then I'm just going to speak about it for a bit, and then um, we'll have a cup of tea together. Game plan? Fantastic. Right, uh, Matthew 4, this is verse 18. This is uh, just a stunning encounter that Jesus had with a couple of fellas. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. I mean, there's some other stuff we need to look at here, but so transfixed are they, these guys by Jesus, that they drop everything. They drop their profession to follow him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, which is not for the magic roundabout. It's another Zebedee altogether. And his brother John, they were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then it all kicks off. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Capolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background here. There's an astonishing encounter in John uh, chapter 1, which kind of fills in the gaps. You think, uh, how, did this, how did this happen um, uh, why, why, you know, why did they suddenly drop everything? Well, you get this little bit that fills in the gap in John chapter 1, verse 29, uh, which is another account, like the Gospels we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are like portraits of Jesus, like eyewitness accounts, and sometimes you need to lay them over each other to fill in the gap. So that's what we're doing now. Uh, so just bear with me. This is John 1, verse uh, 29. The next day, John... John was like a, a crazy prophet guy who was, who'd been proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. He saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, which we'll talk about later, was that he might be revealed. Then John gave this testimony. The next day, verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. And he says again, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So get what's happening. This is two guys. John, this crazy prophet guy, said, this is the Lamb of God. Two, they, he hears him say that, and they start, they're like sneaking up behind him. They're like following him. He's like a compelling character. And he turns around and he says, basically, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Like, you're stalking me. And then this amazing thing happens. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. How's that for detail? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and tell him, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah, the saviour of the universe. The saviour of the world, a man who died for our sins. And that word sins has been popularised, thankfully, by Weight Watchers. So now we all know what sin means. Sin I just need to clarify, is not an eclair. It is not a piece of Mr. Kipling pie. Sin is much worse than that. It's like a virus has affected all of us. It's self-centeredness. It's selfishness. It's saying, I will live according to my ways and my rules, and I'll take my chances, thanks. Remember like, this famous quote from Winston Churchill, who was dying on his deathbed, and one of his senior sort of advisors or friends said to him, are you ready to meet God, Winston? And he said, well, I hope he's ready to meet me. That's about the best Churchill impression you'll get. But I thought, the arrogance of humanity, I'll do it my way and I'll be fine. Frank Sinatra philosophy, I'll be fine, I'll do it my way. And we'll just take our chances and that's where it ends up. Black Friday, Syria, mess all over the place. And through that, Jesus just cuts through it. And these two guys, they, they see him and he's so compelling. So get this. They've spent the day with him. Then they go back to their day jobs fishing. But they can't get him out of it. their heads. I, I, I'm assuming this. They're like, they'd be talking about it while they're fishing for a bit of tench. Or whatever it is there. And they're like, I just, what is this guy? The saviour of the world, the lamb of God. And of course, the Jews, they would know what the lamb of God meant. They'd know what the, what the implication is. The lamb, the sacrificial lamb, because the Jews would, would kill a lamb to atone for their sins. Sin being our state of being, like I just talked about earlier. Like the Messiah is here, the saviour of the universe. And they followed him and dropped everything to do it. And do you know, history is littered with people that you've either got to say they are absolutely bonkers or they have been consumed by something which transcends all the people's understanding, just grips them by every fibre of their being. I remember in Italy, I was in the Cotian Alps. I was actually doing a little bit of work for an organisation that I was leading, trying to set up 
this organization in Italy, uh, but I had a few sort of dalliances like you do when you're on an overseas trip to taste some wonderful Prosecco and uh, various other delights of Italy. And uh, after a morning, a morning of consuming Prosecco, actually, they were, they were very into that there, uh, they took me into the Cotian Alps, where, where I, 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 some of you heard me say this before, where I, I, they led me to a stone hut. <laughs> I mean, I've been walking for an hour in a pair of beige chinos and a floral shirt into the Alps after Prosecco. So I'm not a happy man. And, and, I, and they said, look, we want to show you this. I said, it's a, it's a cow shed. Well, and they said, oh, I know. They said, this is a Bible school. I know it's not. They said, it's a Bible school. I said, tell me about it. So this thing is like as wide as from where Jay is to where Dan is, and then about here to me, and it's all falling apart. They said, let me tell you about these guys, the Valdensians. He said, so they're amazing. He said, in the 1100s, there was a bloke called Peter Valdo, and he was an entrepreneur. He was a really rich guy. And, and basically, he read the Bible for himself after his mate died in front of him. He started reading the Bible because back then, the priests read the Bible. They didn't read it for themselves. And, and Peter read, Peter Valdo read about Jesus. And it just massively impacted his heart, like massively. So he gave away all his possessions, like everything he had, so he could preach about Jesus on the streets. But they didn't like it. Like the Catholic Church at the time didn't like it. So the Pope told him to shut up. He said, I'm not going to shut up. I've got to tell people about Jesus. I need people to find the Bible for themselves. So they issued a, a death warrant on him. The Catholic Church, they issued an execution order. And they raised up an army to hunt him down because by that time, the movement had become thousands of people who had met Jesus. And they pursued them with an army through the Cotian Alps, through France and Lyon, right away into Italy. And then I'm standing in front of this stone hut and I said, what, how is this a Bible college? He said, ah, this guy says to me, let me tell you what happened here. He said, the average life expectancy of one of these guys who was passionate about Jesus was two weeks. They just kill them. He said, so these young men, particularly young men, they would be taken up onto the mountainside to learn the Bible in winter. Because in winter, the soldiers, the execution army, is a specific army to kill them all, couldn't get to them in winter. So they would learn the Bible. This book, which sits on many of our shelves, we do nothing with. They would learn the Bible so that they could learn it over winter. And when the snow melted, they would come down off the mountainside and they would preach their hearts out until they died, until they were caught and killed, with the sole aim that they would win as many people to Jesus as possible because that was what their lives were all about. There's this amazing verse in Philippians uh, which says this, I eagerly expect and hope, this is written by a man called Paul, who, who just a phenomenal man who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, who used to kill and persecute Christians. And then one day he met Jesus in a vision and his life radically changed. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I'm to go on living in a body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Man alive. 
What is it that grips people that they would say that? To live, okay, but to die, that's gain because I get to be with Jesus. So kill me if you want. And he wrote that from prison. Kill me if you want, but my life has a higher purpose now. This were these guys in this stone hut in the 1100s. How phenomenal is that? You go up to learn the Bible in winter, to die in the summer. And let me tell you something, that Jesus is still calling people now. And he's in the business of radically, radically transforming people's lives. And he invites you into an adventure. I mean, we have put him in a, a little manger in nativity plays, like, like a little doll, a plastic doll, or the cross has become a fashion icon. And yet it's so much more than that. It's such a beautiful thing that we believe we have a saviour who died on the cross and rose again and offers us life and life to the full. Not Black Friday life, but life with meaning and hope and purpose. And I said to you, I stood on the steps of a church when I was 18, 22nd of April, 1990, 7 o'clock in the evening, crying my eyes out, looking at a little shrub on the other side of the road and crying because I saw it was green for the first time. I was standing next to my mate, Bigsy, and he's going, why are you crying? I went, it's green. It's a green tree. It's like the veil had come off my eyes. I saw it was the world that God had made. Jesus was calling me. And I sat on the edge of my bed that night, and I, I wrote in the front of my Bible that I'd spent the rest of my life pursuing Jesus Christ, pursuing him. I said to God, I'll follow you wherever you tell me to go, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. We are here because Christ has called many of you. And we gather to worship. That's why we do it, isn't it? To encourage one another, to build each other up. That's why we're here. And we stand on the shoulders of people who lay down their lives so that we can have churches that believe what we believe now. But he's calling us to an adventure now. And some of you I know, some of you I know personally are yet to make that kind of decision. Let me tell you, the transformation he brings into your life is, is so incredible. I've struggled to put it into words. As part of my job, I interview people who want to be Elim ministers. It's called the MSB, the Ministry Selection Board. And we terrify people on purpose. And they come in and they preach to us and we interview them and we grill them about their theology. Well, I'd sort of, it's smoke and mirrors for me on that bit. But some other people are much better at that. And, and you know, we sort of say, has God called them? And we had this woman come in before us. It was just stunning. I mean, our eyes were just, our face, you know, you meet people, their face is just alive. Just, uh, just so full of like joy. And she didn't seem nervous at all. And she did this little preach that I have to do in front of us. She must be terrifying. But it was a beautiful talk she gave. And then we interviewed and a story came out that she'd been homeless and she'd fallen into prostitution and she'd been a drug addict and she'd had years of therapy to try and get off heroin and crack cocaine and nothing had worked. She'd sold her body to try and get some money just to get some drugs inside of her and none of it had worked. And then one day, one day, someone introduced her to Jesus Christ and now she's sitting in front of us wanting to plant churches and tell people about Jesus. So beautiful is her life now. Isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, you can't make that up. It's not some weird psychotherapy thing we're offering. This is radical transformation for every cell in your body. And then we go on to finish this little bit of stuff we were reading. Um, in this encounter, Jesus went through Galilee teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the good news and healing every disease and illness amongst the people. We can't ignore that. 
It's in the Bible. You think, what is happening here? Let me tell you, I've, you might think everything you're hearing is bonkers. Well, I have to call it as I see it. I have to say it as I've seen it in my life and what I see in the Bible. Otherwise, I'm betraying you. I have to tell you what I'm seeing. And, and what I've seen in my life is that Jesus is still radically intervening in people's lives. I was at this, we do this massive men's camp, which is brilliant. Uh, we have like Formula One cars and a beer tent that seats 2,000 and Elvis impersonators and all kinds of weirdness. And we tell people about Jesus in the midst of it. And we hear amazing stories. Do you know what happened last year? We were worshipping like we had earlier. But imagine 2,000 men all singing songs. I mean, it might sound a bit crazy, but it's really cool. So moving. And then at the end of one of the meetings, someone came over to me in tears with their friend who was also in tears. And I said, what, what's happening? He said, he, said, he said, my friend had a stroke and he's not been able to speak for 10 years. And during the worship, he started singing. He was singing. And he can speak again. And he, his voice was all like croaking, done in. But, he's, but he started to speak. And now he's got his speech back. Well, what is that? Was that just a bizarre click of a vein because of the music? I don't know. I think it's the presence of Jesus Christ. That is the presence of Jesus Christ right there in the midst of that meeting. And I've seen that. I'm blessed to see that a few times. Not all the time, but it's just a sign. These things, when Jesus did this stuff, was a sign that he's amongst us. How about that? A stroke victim, unable to worship. It's the power of his voice back while he's singing songs to Jesus as a group of men. He's still in the business of transforming people's lives. And tonight... Tonight we'll be baptising someone. Maybe we'll be baptising more than one person. We hope so. But we would do it even if it was like, if it was Fergie. We would, we would pull out all the stops to celebrate Fergie tonight, getting baptised. And I'll tell you why, because it's the most beautiful and amazing thing that we're doing. It says in the Bible that when we're baptised, we die to our old way of life and we're raised to new life with Jesus. And that means a new life. Not like a slightly patched up life. I mean a new life. With new hopes, a new future. and New expectations and a destiny. That's such a powerful thing. It's why when we do baptism, we take a model from the Bible that says we, we, we get them right under the water. And depending on how nice they are to us, depends how long we hold them under. And then we bring them up. And it's such a, I've got to tell you, it's such a stunning moment. I mean, I had the privilege of baptising one of my daughters earlier in the year. And every time when we baptise people, I just feel like weeping. And I'm not a very emotional person, really. But it just gets me, you know. New life, new hope. This thing is not a myth. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever your life is about, and I know that life can contain all kinds of ups and downs and pain and mishaps and misfortune and bereavement and grief and illness. And yeah, just such an amazing thing when for all of that you have a hope that transcends all of that stuff. When you know that God has got your back and he loves you and he made you. You might look in the mirror and think that you're a living disaster sometimes. But God looks at you and he loves you. 
That's what the Bible tells me. I have to call it as I read it. The Bible tells me that God looks at you and he, he, when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, he sees his son, he thinks you're amazing, he thinks you're beautiful. There's the Hollywood version of beautiful and there's God's version of beautiful. He thinks you're amazing and he made you. He loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. The sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God. To pay the price for our sins, not the Weight Watchers' sins, the far deeper stuff. So we have a new hope, new life, new future, and he's calling people to follow him. He's saying it this morning. Will you follow me? I'll show you life, life in all its fullness. I said earlier that it seems like yesterday that my daughter, my daughters, were dedicated. And now they're 17 and 15. It feels like yesterday that I was a little boy running around being a nightmare. And now I'm tracking into our mid-40s. It seems like yesterday that my dad was a hero cop. Just a strong, heroic character. And now he's in his mid to late 70s. And it all seems like it's just going like that. You can bury your head in the sand about it, but there's an inevitability to life. And in the middle of that, God is calling. You follow me. You follow me. I'll show you what your life's really all about. Because we believe that real life is yet to come. There's life to the full now, but there is a hope beyond this life. And the last thing you want to be, I'm sure, is just a forgotten photograph on a hard drive somewhere. We believe we follow a God who knows every hair on our head, loves us, believes in you, has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that's why we dedicated little Eli. And we sincerely pray as a church that Eli grows up to be a man of God who loves Jesus. Wherever God takes him, he loves Jesus. And he wins souls for Jesus too. That's what we pray for. And our prayer is that many of you here who don't know Jesus yet would at least, at least... Give a few minutes to think about it, like you have done this morning. Because if I'm wrong, fine. But if I'm right, that's pretty crazy. That's got to be worth investing a bit of time into. Jesus calls us to follow him, and he can radically break into your life.